Well, good morning, Mavis. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming online today. And just for our hmm, 85,000 listeners, <laughs> why don't we just go through your role at, at say, what, what do you do there? And then we can talk about what I think is an extraordinarily uh, important topic, and that being uh, the youth of your community and the female leaders within that youth movement. I, I just love to hear that. And I'd really like for our industry partners to hear about this on the peninsula. So first of all, good morning. How are you and what do you do at Tsewa? It's great, so good morning, John. Uh, it's uh, always interesting when you ask what I do at Tsewa. I do a lot of different things, a lot of advocacy for young, young adults, uh, young parents, um, I do um, some encouragement for the education programs, uh, you know, writing different letters of support or pr proposals that they might be writing. Uh, I try to uh, work with our chief and the rest of council to try to, you know, focus our energy and planning on the youth because the bulk of our population is youth oriented under um, age 30. Wow. Um, yeah. It, you think it's more than 50%? Yes. Wow. Yeah, oh, so, um, I think at the last, there was over, over 22 babies born in the community uh, last year, I believe. Okay. And, and it's just an incredible um, increase in the population. We have a very vital population. So um, it, it's important to me to work on resolving some of the key social determinants of health and prosperity, those issues, looking at housing, looking at improving the health, looking at the standard of education, and, uh, and also trying to wrestle with the ideas of identity and self-confidence and the knowledge of the history. I see those as key priorities for helping ground any person, um, but particularly as our young people are going out um, and they've we've been referred to as the emerging people who were saved from the flood, particularly that originated with the young people. The young people were the ones that were in the majority saved from the, from the great flood. And I believe that's where we are today. Um, they are working hard to show us direction by being involved in so many things besides employment, uh, education. Um, they're looking for work. They're trying to improve their state um, of existence in the community by being involved in athletics or uh, being involved in employment. So it's uh, very refreshing, refreshing to see more and more of our First Nations Indigenous people working in public environments. It makes me very proud. And when I see young people out there working, um, I try to acknowledge them, you know, not interfere with them, but try to acknowledge them you know, glad to see you working here, you know, if you go yeah. to places or if you go to different places, you just, it's a real sense of pride. Well, you, you and I have been working out together for about a year in helping align industry with, with your community and other nations communities on the peninsula, as well as, as well as lower Vancouver Island. And I've heard this, topic addressed numerous times about and I uh, I clearly am not an expert nor am I nor am I nor have I lived 
the pains that your communities have suffered in the past. But from what I heard from anecdotally heard from others is that you are trying to uh, empower young people to understand your history, but now how do we move on from your history? And is, is, that what, is that what moving on from the flood means? Like what does that, is that encapsulating that? Tell me more about what that means. Um, the emerging people, um, the sort of the basic principle of, around the flood was that um, the people were being introduced to a circumstance, a great flood that was coming. They got warning and they were to be prepared. That remains part of our teaching still, that we're to be prepared um, so that if there's a, a death or an incident in a community that you're prepared for it. In some way you respond to it. But I think because of uh, a learned sort of helplessness, um, dealing with poverty and overcoming poverty, I think people lost those um, abilities to be prepared. And so that's what the young people are doing now is that they're making the preparations that they need to make to really be prepared for the future. They're grounding themselves more in their education. They're trying to revitalize the role of elders. And they're also trying to find a meaningful place, I think, in general society, whether they're at uh, high school, college, or university. They seem to be seeking out some very important goals, looking at climate change, climate action, uh, looking at uh, habitat restoration and protection. So they're really starting to um, adapt and change the environment that they're in um, to, to create that impression of um, continuity. Um, you know, the continuity of culture, the continuity of teachings, those things that are really the foundation of their identity and um, of their humanity. Really, it, it means taking that past and, and really working with it so that it propels you into the future in a really important way. Uh, so that's what I like to see about the young people is that they, they've taken the best of the education system. And, and really the challenge has been having a accepted view of education as a tool, not as a weapon of assimilation, but as a tool something that can guide you into the future but the um, the foundation of that education needs to be that acknowledgement of who you are and where you come from your identity with family your identity with community your identity um, with uh, other first nations relatives uh, indigenous people uh, knowing that um, a lot of the history of your existence and lifestyle and your civilization has not been recorded, um, has not been included in curriculum, you find a way to reconcile that. And I think that's what I see with young people moving forward in their education and moving forward looking for employment. And I'm just so impressed by young people that sometimes have two or three jobs um, because they want a level of independence. They want a level of freedom. And that just really impresses me. What impresses me too is the young moms They've been consistently dominating um, lo local employment um, because they want to look at the best opportunity to be close to their home, close to their children, um, close to their community. So they're trying to solve problems of 
transportation and how to get around. That's one of the key things is uh, is accessing reliable transportation. Yeah, as an as an employment barrier, so to speak, yeah. how to get there. This is this is this this discussion's extraordinarily uh, inspiring. I have uh, I have four grandchildren. Uh, sorry, I have four children. I now have four grandchildren. And uh, I've always been uh, a massive, massive advocate for youth opportunity. And now, especially with the industry jobs on the peninsula, sometimes it's hard to break in. Sometimes it is hard to, to move uh, uh, into, into those jobs because they're so um, entrenched with, with, uh, with people who've been there for a while. And so we, you and I together, and I hope potentially either a youth representative or maybe if you have a youth council at your nations, Let's include them in our uh, industry discussions. Uh, we're going to plan a job fair at the end of uh, an online job fair at the end of uh, uh, October. And my hope is that we have half a dozen uh, or more folks on a Zoom call being introduced and building relationships with, uh, with uh, our industry uh, leaders and so that they can, they can uh, uh, immediately start to take advantage of what are really good jobs uh, so, so th this this is so aligned with with at least my thinking, and so very exciting. Uh, can we talk a little bit about this notion that the females are actually leading the charge, so to speak? I think it's probably um, many of the first opportunities to go back to school, get your college prep or your university transfer, um, were taken up by the women. And I think the women, uh, because they've had that role uh, often, being a single parent, uh, trying to influence their children, um, many talk about going back to school for their children so that they can help their children with education. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, um, they also find uh, a niche for themselves that allows them to step into um, employment. And whether that's through employment, um, practicums or um, their, their post-secondary practicums or work experience or work opportunity program, whatever it might be, it often seems to be the women, particularly who have the children that are going back. And we just looked at the McDonald's example. Um, a lot of the shifts were being led by, by the women of the community. And that started to draw in other people. And it was a real necessity to solve that problem of flexibility and employment, being able to um, find a way to get to work, being able to have some flexibility in your shift so you could access your babysitting, and then um, having an employer that was open to accepting yeah. people. Well, this uh, podcast will go a long ways towards educating our employers around the need for flexibility, the need for uh, potentially uh, providing transportation options or understanding that that's a barrier to successful employment. This will go a long way. And whatever and how, okay, not whatever and however we can help. Uh, by all means, in our uh, ongoing discussions and activities, I will welcome any young people to join and hear us. They don't have to participate. They don't have to speak. They can just listen and start to get to know who we are. I'm a massive advocate for trying to help young people uh, get ahead in our work society and ultimately our cultural society, et cetera. 
So th this is uh, this is very exciting news. I'd love to keep hearing how this develops for the future here. And if there's any other ways that we can help, please let me know. Thank you so much, Mavis, for, for uh, updating us on this. As we start, I get, you know, it's funny, at least in my life, and I think others likely as well, September is sort of the start of, the, uh, of, a, of a year. It's sort of this sort of refreshing moment. But because of this crazy health crisis, I don't know what, what's going on. When is the start? When is the end? But let's keep updating through the year about our youth resurgence and, and highlighting these young females and what they're doing. Let's hear them tell their story of strength and, and courage and leadership. That's what they're doing. I think it is really important uh, what the young people are doing and the young women. Of course, I try to uh, be a role model or a mentor or advocate, whatever they need that. Um, and you are. You are <laughs> such an amazing leader. I, I'm going to try to let the rest of the community know that if they don't already. <laughs> well, I think it's important to, to give that encouragement. Um, to share what you know, like to share my own experiences about employment, because I think um, I was in a different situation. I was very fortunate. When people tell you jobs don't come knocking at the door, for me, jobs came knocking at the door. Whether it was people asking me to babysit um, for a, a long weekend, with, entrusting me with their children, or it was a principal coming from one of the schools, knocking at my door and um, asking me to come and work in one of the high profile um, secondary schools. He asked me um, if I would be interested in working in the office. And I really didn't have a lot of strong skills. My typing just passed. And I didn't really know how to operate business equipment. and. Um, so I had to learn, but they gave me that opportunity. And I often share that with kids. And, and the reason why I was given that opportunity where employment came knocking at my door um, was because I was one of the few First Nations women to graduate in the public school system in 1970-71. So um, with that, I always experienced um, a lot of encouragement and I tried to rise up from that encouragement to um, learn more. And after two years in that environment, I decided myself to go back to college to do college prep and then the university transfer. But I had um, strong mentorship from people that I worked with before. Um, I was always able to obtain good references and that meant a lot to me that I could go back and I could still go back to a lot of people to ask um, if they can help me with different things. Yeah. And that's what I try to impart to young people, that it's important um, as they go forward and they see some of the challenges I had, they compete for a position. They might not get that position, no matter how nice they are, no matter how well prepared they are, no matter how well dressed they are. Um, but sometimes in an in a interview situation, there are many people that have positive qualities. And so they need to be prepared that um, if you get rejected once, don't stop, 
and think the whole world is going to keep rejecting you. Yeah. Because um, it means more than some of the efforts that have been mobilized. I've watched a young person. Um, you know, we used to often just do one or two resumes, put them out, hope something works out to a job. But I saw this young woman getting ready and she did 12 resumes and sent them out and had like, a good success for uh, three to four interviews. So, you know, people just realize not all of your resumes um, are going to hit goals. Yeah. 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 So it, it is important how, you know, prepared you are, but also be prepared to um, sometimes be rejected. It's like playing fastball. That's how I always related it to. Uh, when I played fastball, I didn't get a big hit every time. Mm -hmm. And I did strike out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the sun still came up the next day. <laughs> and uh, things were different the next day. So I had to just kind of remember, you know, because I had children too, um, I, what am I going to do? How am I going to feed them? How am I going to do everything that they need? And I think like many people of my generation really coming out of um, uh, this issue around education that we're trying to put behind us and put it in history, the residential school experience. I did not go to residential school. My dad was pretty um, adamant. There's a school down the road. You kids walk there. So we finished oh. school. And I think that that was important teaching for us that we had to learn how to get along mm -hmm. in a world where um, there was a lot of competition and the efforts of course were to colonize us and yeah. to uh, displace us from our community mm -hmm. and uh, you know we're a very vital part of the community I think many of our people support local business because they have limited transportation and I think that needs to be acknowledged how much spending First Nations actually do in many of the communities. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we're not just the farm laborers, we're, we're a vital part of communities in so many different areas. And I think that affirmative action really needs to be taken to continue to in encourage and promote First Nations people um, as, a, as a potential opportunity. I don't like to use the idea of human capital I don't, I don't really like that term, but to me, it's a lot of human potential um, that's there waiting to uh, be guided toward a really good employment opportunity. And I often relate to young people that I, I didn't stay put in one career right to the end to be pensioned out. I went, I think a lot of times where there were social problems and I know that young people are doing that now as they're trying to figure out, do I go to school for Indigenous language or Indigenous support work or do I go to school for health fields? Um, they look at the ideas of, of looking for career and opportunity or do I, I do something else after that? And I came out of the university with a child and youth care degree in 1978. And again, a job came knocking. They wanted me to work in the school system to help mentor First Nations learners. And so I was very lucky. But um, from that, I then went into uh, some child welfare work. Because uh, I think the issues for myself, the social problems within your family structure, 
within your community structures and with Indigenous peoples in general, dealing with a lot of social upheaval. I wanted to try to find a really strong way forward, not just a band-aid, but something that led to prosperity and independence and a strong sense of self, self-confidence, um, self-aware, being very proud of who they are and what they can do um, in the right environment. So um, I do see that mostly with young women, um, that they, they really get it because for them, it is often about um, acquiring housing and dealing with the young ones that they're raising up. So I think it's important. And I really am proud of young people who talk to me and who say um, many of the political problems in our local community, they're not their burden. Those are my generation's burden. They're going to move on and find a way in a different way. And I'm just really glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear young people when they talk to me about choices that they make about not drinking or not smoking. Um, because really it's hard to make those decisions when peer pressure or sometimes your family pressure yeah. accepts those um, issues yeah, in the way of life. And yes. it's, it's really hard. I, uh, so I'm just really proud when people talk to me about what they're doing uh, with their lives, with their choices and what they hope will be, you know, an end role for them. And I do talk to people like they ask me, if, how, how do you do certain things? Um, how do you stand up and speak like that? Um, I was given a lot of encouragement and a lot of courage. And that comes from, I think, my mom and my dad and my, my grandfather in particular, um, who always helped ground me, you know, in the importance of um, if something is wrong, then you try, you try to fix it. And so uh, I've often tried to be somebody influential in bridging um, mainstream society with indigenous peoples, the settler, settler society. So if I'm asked to speak um, in different events at UVic or at the conference center, I often try to participate because it's so important to me that young people are able to fit in and they are welcomed in and that they feel to that they're a vital part of society. Because if we keep excluding people, um, we just intensify much of the negative. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's just, uh, it's sad that that's also part of our lifestyle and existence. Well, we're, we're gonna help to think, think of our relationship, you and I, and, and your relationship to the project as potentially uh, within a beach, you know, a, a, a rock, one of the rocks. You have all these other rocks that are forming the beach, potentially one brick in a house. And, and ultimately what we're trying to do here is build, build alignment, build friendships, uh, help each other. Just, just, it's that simple. And this kind of work that we're doing today, I want at the end, somewhere at the end of the day for people to say, yeah, Mavis Underwood, she was a community leader, not a First Nations community leader. She was a community leader. Mm -hmm. She was somebody that we can all learn from. 
and emulate and celebrate within our entire community. And so that's what we're doing today. I can't thank you enough, Mavis, for this. You're an extraordinary person. And I really hope that we can listen to you more about so many issues. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye, Mavis. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.